Hello and welcome to another episode of Envisioneering Exchange, the podcast where industry leaders discuss the most important topics in HVACR. I'm your host, John Sheff, Dan Foss's Director of Public and Industry Affairs. Now, you can subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. Today, we're going to be discussing hydronics again, and specifically what's going on in the Baltimore, Washington market, and a specific project called the Towson Courthouse Project that my guest, Jay Chan, who was in our previous episode, is currently working on. Now, if you haven't listened to the last episode, I highly recommend you go back and take a listen because Jay and I delve into all the particulars uh, dealing with hydronics, which is a complex and not well understood technology. So please do that. But if not, we're going to give you a quick recap. Jay, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, about Chesapeake, and what you do there? Sure. Thanks, John. So I am uh, the Director of Strategic Markets for Chesapeake Systems. I've been involved in the commercial HVAC market for 30 plus years. Um, I started in the field uh, working on building automation systems, and I saw the transition, or primarily I was brought in for the transition from pneumatic controls to analog electronics and to where we are today with DDC controls. Uh, at that point, I took an interest in uh, the mechanical systems and decided to go back to school for a mechanical engineering degree. From there, I went to work for a consulting firm as a mechanical design engineer, uh, designing mechanical systems for primarily commercial office spaces, laboratories, uh, some specialized uh, industrial process facilities, clean rooms, and labs as well. So from there, later moving into sales, um, I went to work for a rep firm that specialized in hydronic products. And uh, that's where I've uh, developed most of my hydronic uh, experiences. Uh, when you get a chance to focus on hydronics only, you uh, tend to become pretty good at it, let's say. So I also work for a global manufacturing company um, who specializes in climate and energy, which is Dan Foss, by the way. And so now I work for Chesapeake Systems. Um, and my role there is to work directly with owners, uh, focusing on what we call the strategic markets, schools, government, hospitals, institutional accounts, and some large property management firms. And uh, what we identified early on with uh, working with owners is just the fact that, you know, we start projects where the owner has a concept or, you know, vision. And then once it goes through the pinball machine of design, bid, equipment awards, installation and commissioning, uh, the owner tends not to get what he's um, what he had envisioned or a building that doesn't perform. Uh, the way he had expected it to. A lot of that has to do with the fact that that pinball machine being an engineer who designs based off the interpretation of what the owner wanted, a contractor uh, that was awarded based on low bid by his interpretation of that design, and then the equipment vendor who uh, supplied the packages for the equipment based on their interpretation. And so, um, you know, by the time we go through all of this, sometimes, uh, you know, the owner gets what he's asked for and it performs well, but in most cases, uh, you know, there are issues. And yeah, I won't get into again, like I did last episode, how much I love Chesapeake and what they're doing, but there are not a lot of rep firms who are doing what Chesapeake is doing and has somebody like Jay who's really out there trying to make sure that end users are getting what they want and their problems are getting solved and trying to break that supply chain a little bit that uh, bounces these projects all the way down the line until sometimes they're not really recognizable from where they started. So, um, you know, Jay, before we get into the Towson Courthouse project and what you're seeing in the Baltimore, Washington market, give us a quick recap of hydronics and what these systems look like and why it's so important to have a well-functioning balanced system. Sure. 
hydronics uh, to me is where we remove or add heat to the system through a means of water. The water is a great medium for heat transfer and that's why we use it today. However, um, you know, balancing becomes very important because we know that the uh, function of uh, BTUs or heat removed or added is directly related to the amount of flow uh, that we provide. So, you know, these systems consist of pumps uh, that move water through the system, chillers that remove the heat from that water in the summertime, uh, boilers that add the heat to the water in the wintertime, and uh, all leading to what we feel today, and that's through the air, and that's through the uh, coils and the air handling units, fan coil units, VAVs, and all of that uh, relies on the proper amount of flow. Otherwise, you don't get the uh, proper heat transfer. And so balancing is very important. In many of these cases, um, we don't see the proper balancing, and it does tend to lead to a lot of issues in the buildings. And yeah, so the concept of balancing of of having too much water overflow in some of the coils, not enough, or underflow in some of the other ones leads to poor heat transfer. It can manifest itself in poor temperature control, so discomfort in some of the, the rooms of the building. Some rooms could be too hot, some rooms could be too cold, but then also some more serious issues like way too much humidity and mold uh, that can really make people sick or make the building so uncomfortable that it cannot be occupied uh, and causing a real headache for building owners. So a lot of uh, consequences there for a sick and imbalanced building. And so getting into those sick buildings, we're going to talk about the Towson Courthouse project, which is a project that Jay and I actually worked on and Jay is still working on. And this was one such building located in Towson, Maryland, um, and owned by the state. Jay, why don't you introduce the building, where it is, when it was built, who the end user is, and how you first got into the project? Sure. Um, the project is located in Towson, Maryland. It was built in the early 90s. Um, the state eventually ended up taking over the facility at some point and then became uh, managed by uh, Maryland Department of General Services. We had gone in and uh, presented the uh, marketing plan that was put together by uh, Dan Foss and supported by some of our other manufacturers uh, that we represent. Again, uh, creating that comprehensive uh, solutions package for hydronic systems. And uh, the presentation went well and uh, it was well received. And afterwards it was clear uh, that we needed to look at uh, you know several projects where they had uh, significant issues with uh, temperature control and uh, humidities. And so the Towson project was um, was one of these that we decided to uh, take this comprehensive approach and look at. So the project has been ongoing. Uh, right now we are pretty much, uh, I'd say three quarters of the way through. When we first did our initial walkthrough through the project, there were issues of water, humidity, and um, from what we could tell, it, it was going back to what we talked about in an earlier podcast of uh, having facilities engineers who want to take pride in what they do, but they're not properly uh, educated or trained in some of these complex systems. So they don't call contractors that, um, that may know or understand these systems and hydronic systems better. So they try to take it upon themselves to try to make uh, tweaks and changes. Well, that was part of what cascaded into further damage um, over long periods of operation under those uh, conditions and equipment failure started to occur. We had water issues, we had uh, humidity issues, temperature control issues. So eventually we decided to look at um, replacing this building and looking at it as a, as a new comprehensive approach 
to a new design with the high efficiency equipment and uh, utilizing the best practices that we went in to uh, discuss regarding the hydronic loop. It's really interesting, this project, because it's extreme in some parts, and, and I'm going to ask you, ex- you know, to describe exactly what was going on with the building. But it's also typical because, like you said, I think that, you know, over the years, these facility managers whose, you know, job it is to take care of these buildings and, like you said, take a lot of pride in the work but are just not properly trained, they start making tweaks. They don't understand the system. They think they have a chiller problem. They think they have a pump problem. And, you know, they're making adjustments to try to correct one symptom, not realizing that it's really part of a larger problem. And so when you got to this building, what was going on with the J? What were the symptoms? Because I know a large part of it couldn't be used, right? Correct. Um, one of the big things that uh, we noticed was, was that uh, usually in the mechanical rooms, we have exhaust fans. Uh, you know, they, they either run continuously or they run based on... Um, on off based on the temperature in those spaces. They have uh, a, a relief damper or an opening uh, that whenever the fan runs, that that uh, damper opens up and to make that a net pressure neutral uh, condition. So they had those dampers closed thinking that they were providing or bringing in heat into the building. So that caused the building to go further negative uh, in addition to the tweaks to the air handling units uh, where they were actually, um, you know, disabling and closing outdoor air openings, uh, which further drove the building negative. So they had major infiltration problems. On top of that, uh, there were tweaks made to the valves where they were opened because they thought they weren't getting enough cooling. So they would open these valves, the manual balancing valves, and we were overflowing coils. So it was a cascade of uh, all these different issues uh, that eventually, um, you know, caused major equipment problems. Yeah. So they were basically sucking hot air in and then overcompensating by turning the valves way open. Correct. And so what ultimately happened? So eventually the uh, chiller uh, started to uh, have issues. The pumps were um, over pumping. Uh, there were certain areas over certain courtrooms where since the balancing valves were opened too much or throttled down too tight, that they were, they were hearing water noise. It, it uh, Literally, at some places, it sounded like uh, marbles just rolling through the pipe over the courtrooms. And so, Jay, the judges were complaining that they could hear something up above them when they thought was marbles rolling around, and it was really the water making that sound up in the pipes. And, you know, at, at some point, a whole wing of the building got so humid and damp that it was unusable, right? That's correct. What was happening is, is that the building was so negative and pulling in so much uh, outside air that the whole building became so humid that the condensate drain pan and the air handling units were actually collecting water and leaking in the ceiling tiles. So those areas, um, you know, became unusable or, um, you know, they had to move people out of those areas. Had DGS, the Department of General Services, tried to fix this building before? Were you the first one to try to help them address it? I mean, what was their process here? I'm sure they had. Um, they had asked me to look at the building because of uh, some of these issues. And so um, walking through, it took uh, multiple visits to really dig into uh, the original design. Uh, we, you know, we pulled the original design drawings to make sure that the capacities were, uh, were correct. And uh, it looks like the original design was feasible and functional and uh, was properly sized as far as equipment went. Um, however, like I said, um, most of it was, was that the tinkering of certain things that uh, weren't functioning properly and just which cascaded into uh, or manifested into much larger problems. 
Yeah, so this is just user error over a number of years causing these systems to get way out of whack. So what did you propose to fix this problem? Was it one big project? Were you adding pieces over time? What was the initial proposal? Sure. The initial proposal was to go in and look at balancing to change and tweak controls so that we were maintaining a positive building pressure as opposed to a negative building pressure, first of all. The second uh, was to balance the hydronic system so that you know we put the pumps back into um, performance where they should have been originally. Um, however, as we started to move through, we realized that some of the equipment or some of the main components uh, to the building were kind of reaching end of life or were having enough issues that we thought they needed to be replaced. So as we continued to move forward and, and evaluate all that, uh, it just became a project that they wanted to look at uh, setting a new gold standard based off of uh, the synchronized hydronic loop to create a building where we looked at the whole entire system, applying you know the best practices of uh, energy savings and uh, principles. And yeah, I think that's what's really exciting for us is that um, you know even though this project was not the biggest project, it really was something that DGS is going to use as a blueprint going forward for some of their other buildings. So, give us an overview of what the project turned into. What are the technologies that you're applying, and how are you installing them? Sure. So let's start off with the chillers. Uh, the chillers, we're using uh, modular chillers. Uh, so instead of one large chiller, it's um, you know we're using a modular approach so that we get better uh, part load efficiencies. The other thing is is that uh, the chiller has a heat rejection capability. So we're using that for uh, the shoulder months so that when there is uh, heat available in the system and there's still and there's a somewhat of a small heating requirement, we're able to reject heat so that the boilers don't have to run. On the pump side of it, uh, we used um, you know the design envelope designed by um, Armstrong Pumps, where you know it's a concept of sensorless pumping, and that is to utilize uh, the the technology of the variable speed drives today, which has matured um, significantly over the years, and that we have incorporated a lot more controls. And I think it's a and that is a Danfoss uh, product, by the way, um, converted uh, with you know more uh, controls to be able to to look at the pressure drop in the system, the drive understanding, you know, where the position of the pump is, looking at also the electrical load and the power consumed at that speed, we can calculate and look at what the flow of the pump is. So there's no need for transducers. Uh, the pumps can actually uh, intelligently uh, understand what the load is in the building and, and match it uh, accordingly. So that's, you know, one of the methods uh, for savings there. And yeah, these are really cool products. And just to be clear, Armstrong was one of our partners on this project. So we had uh, Peter Wolf, who was working with us from Armstrong, and he was in the presentation. And we had put this system together using Armstrong pumps that have Danfoss drives on them. And so we had uh, not only a comprehensive system, but we had a comprehensive team working with us and with DGS on this project. That's correct. The other part of it is is that we're utilizing the ABQM, um, you know, pick V valves. And so they're great in the fact that uh, when we when we apply variable speed drives and we're going to vary uh, the speed of the pumps, we inherently change the um, the piping pressure uh, that becomes more dynamic. And uh, in a manual balancing valve, uh, it's a fixed position so that when we change the flow, that valve doesn't react to the changes. Uh, what happens is is that the flow either increases or decreases based on the characteristics of that valve where the difference between the ABQM is the fact that uh, it is a dynamic valve and it's self-proportional uh, and balancing. 
So when we have uh, the changing pressures upstream of that valve in the, in the system, that valve actually um, measures the differential pressure across the valve of the orifice opening within the valve. And if there's a change or drop, uh, there's a diaphragm that reacts and uh, either opens or closes the valve in response to the changes in the upstream pressure so that you get a constant flow of water out of it uh, per the design and the requirements. So it's a great product. And we believe that's going to also save a significant amount of energy in the system. And yeah, it's kind of funny. We talked a lot about this in the last episode. So please go back and listen if you want to hear more about the APQM pressure independent control valves. But it is kind of funny because, you know, we have this great chiller technology, variable speed modular, and these incredible uh, variable speed pumps, which really can do a lot. But really, the key piece of technology is this little valve that is modulating the flow into the coils and really allowing those big ticket items, the pumps and the chillers to operate as they were supposed to. Because, you know, if you have, you can have the best variable speed chiller, the best variable speed pumps. But if you have these manual balancing valves and you don't have any control over the flow into the endpoints, the the air handling units, really wasting those pieces of equipment. That's correct. And, you know, the heat transfer uh, on the air side is dependent on the amount of flow that we provide to the coils. You know, we have our uh, Delta T uh, or heat transfer uh, hydronically, but we also have the air over coil heat transfer that occurs. And if we um, overflow, we get a low delta T, which then impacts the chiller. And if we don't have enough flow, we have laminar conditions in the coil, which uh, impede the heat transfer into the airstream. So the air handling units and uh, the fans have to work twice as hard because they have to try to rotate uh, even more air in that space to try to maintain the temperature. Yeah, it's really about using as much water as is necessary, not overflowing, not underflowing, maintaining, you know, the valves really allow everything to be used as it was designed. The chiller can maintain its proper delta T, the pumps can operate on the curve that they're set to, and uh, the coils get as much water as they need to heat or cool that space and no more, no less. So really what we discovered when we are putting this synchronized hydronic loop, you know, uh, program together was it was really the valves that were kind of leading the project and allowing all the other technology to operate as it was supposed to be. And, and it's kind of how we designed our pitch and designed the program. And that's how uh, this project ended up working, right? That's correct. I mean, you know, when we think about it, it's the building automation system, which responds to the temperature in the space. And then that reaction to that space change is actually occurring at the coil uh, in the fan coil unit, air handling unit, or VAVs with uh, coils. And if we don't have the proper flow, then we're not going to have the proper heat transfer. And so it's very dependent on the end point for the other main components to react to that. So, you know, when we look at that, we have um, the VAVs or the fan cool units that uh, satisfy the space based on the proper flows. And then they'll shut off. And as they shut off, it creates back pressure against the pump for the pump to react, knowing that it needs to operate at a more of a part load because we don't need as much flow. Uh, and then the response to the chiller or the boilers and other uh, main equipment. So that's that's how you know we have to look at this from a systems approach and how everything works in a symbiotic relationship to each other. Yeah, very cool stuff. And I think this building is going to be working a lot, lot better and everybody will be much happier and much more comfortable. So where is the project right now? We're about three quarters of the way through. Um, most of the equipment is set in the mechanical room. We're waiting for some um, you know minor equipment to still arrive. But we believe that uh, within the next month or so, we should be ready to start up and commissioning the project. 
Wow, that's awesome. Now we're recording this at the end of June 2020. So I got to ask, has COVID and all that goes with it impacted this project at all? Actually, it hasn't because of the fact that this project uh, was a uh, high priority for the state of Maryland. So, you know, we've actually been moving pretty quickly on this project. And I think what kind of worked in our favor here was that because the building was so kind of messed up to begin with, they evacuated the building and moved all the court's operations elsewhere, right? That's correct. So there was another courthouse in Catonsville, Maryland, uh, that they had uh, just recently built. It was a new courthouse. So they managed to find... um, other locations, uh, and they actually moved the court cases to Catonsville. So they knew the importance of this building, so they actually uh, shut it down, understanding that it would be a much faster process to get this done, as opposed to trying to piecemeal this in phases. Now, you mentioned that DGS is using this as kind of a blueprint going forward. Are there any more buildings in the portfolio that are dealing with similar issues that you're looking at now? Uh, How's that working? Sure. There are other buildings that we're looking at. you know, there were multiple buildings that we were considering at this time. Uh, Towson was the first. So it's going to probably set the standard. So the idea is to measure the energy savings over the next few years to see what they capture. And if it does save the energy that we expect it to or that we, um, you know, that we're expecting it to, then uh, it could become, uh, you know, the gold standard uh, moving forward. There are other projects uh, and state-run facilities that have similar issues. Uh, it hasn't come to a comprehensive look as we did for Towson, again, because part of it is is that the uh, significant amount of cost to fix these buildings properly with a comprehensive approach. Um, So we're looking at this as a guide to some of these other projects moving forward. Yeah, that's awesome. And I can't wait to see where that goes. Well, thanks, Jay, again, for another great episode. And that's going to do it for this episode of the Envisioneering Exchange. I'd like to thank again, Jay Chan, Director of Strategic Markets at Chesapeake Systems for joining us again. And don't forget to subscribe to Envisioneering Exchange on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to rate, review, and share with your network. It really helps us out. Again, I'm John Sheff, Director of Public and Industry Affairs at Danfoss, and thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. This podcast is for information purposes only. The views, information, or opinions expressed during the Envisioneering Exchange podcast series are solely those of the individuals involved and not necessarily represent those of Danfoss LLC and its employees. Danfoss LLC is not responsible and does not verify for accuracy any of the information contained in the podcast series available for listening on this site. This podcast series does not constitute professional advice or services. This podcast, including Danfoss LLC and the producers, disclaim responsibility from any possible adverse effects of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and Danfoss LLC in this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about the guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is available for private, non-commercial use only. You may not edit, modify, or redistribute this podcast. The developers of the Envisioneering Exchange podcast site assume no liability for any activities in connection with this podcast or for use of this podcast in connection with any other website website, computer, or playing device.